You're listening to the Western Science Speaks podcast. Explaining why these selfless acts are actually advantageous is important. Evolution is a slow and unguided process. Well, I'm Canadian and this is the school I go to and this is how much I love my culture. Let me share this with you. Presented by Henry Standage. Few disciplines take as forward-thinking a vision and commitment to patience than making advancements in the frontier of studying space. The launch for the James Webb Space Telescope was developed back in 1996, and it was conceived as a successor to the iconic Hubble Space Telescope. 14 years later, and the James Webb is on the cusp of its official launch. Els Peters, a professor at Western's Physics and Astronomy Department, has been helping construct Canada's plans for the telescope for the past decade. She came onto the show to explain what makes the James Webb special and what Team Canada hopes to find once it launches. Here we go. We talked about the James Webb Space Telescope in the summer for a little bit. Why don't you just tell us what it is, what's its contribution to Canada, and what you've been up to with it since the summer. So uh, the James Webb Space Telescope, or in short, JWST, is uh, the next big uh, space mission. Um, It's the successor of the Hubble Space Telescope, which most of you may know from the pretty pictures that that it took. And so James Webb is a 10 billion mission, which is uh, uh, organized or developed by NASA, ESA, and the Canadian Space Agency. And so Canada's contribution to James Webb would be the fine guidance sensor and one of the four instruments, the near-infrared imager and slitless spectrograph. Because people might not know exactly what that means, what do those things add when you're trying to use a telescope? So the fine guidance sensor uh, will be used to uh, know the position of the telescope, to know your target position and to keep the telescope fixed on the target so you can take your observations um, in the best uh, circumstances. And the near-infrared imager and slitless spectrograph is basically um, uh, one of the four science instruments on James Webb and so it can uh, give you either uh, images or spectra which is basically where you see the brightness in function of color of uh, in the near infrared, so the shorter wavelengths, the short, the colder, or sorry, the hotter colors. How are Canadians involved in the entire process of this, from the actual science to the building of the telescope to how it's used practically in the future? So Canadians got involved uh, in building the telescope by contributing these two uh, uh, hardware uh, components. For th- that means because they contribute these hardware components and also the corresponding software that is needed to analyze the data, it means they, the, uh, the team that built the instruments, so the, the, the instrument team will get some guaranteed time on the telescope. So there will be two large uh, guaranteed time proposals uh, from uh, the Canadian uh, instrument team. One will uh, study the uh, atmospheres of planets and the other one will study, uh, will do a, sur- a survey of uh, galaxy clusters. And so that's one way of getting involved, but also by uh, contributing, uh, we get guarantee a minimum amount of time on the telescope. And so any right. Canadian uh, researcher can propose in the general observer uh, cycles. 
So if Canada didn't contribute any hardware, they, they might not be allowed to use this telescope? That's not n entirely how it works. So this is an international telescope built by three agencies. Yeah. And so for those agencies, because of their contribution of hardware, there is a minimum set of time that you uh, get. But uh, the, the James Webb Space Telescope, any uh, astronomer from uh, any place in the world can ask for time. It's just that because of your contributed hardware, you get guaranteed the minimum amount of time. I see, I see. It's a good incentive. Yes. Well, and it's also, it, um, it, first of all, it, it uh, helps you getting involved in the program from the beginning. So you can also guide a little bit of where the technical um, requirements are. And then uh, you also get involved uh, from the, you get expertise now that you otherwise would not get and that you can, because the instrument team is here in Canada, they can talk to the other Canadian astronomers and basically help them with, for example, writing their proposals and uh, how to uh, use the tools and certainly how to use their instruments. And so that's very good knowledge to, uh, to have uh, if you're writing proposals. Right. Why don't you tell us a little bit about why you're interested in studying molecules through this telescope? So my research is focused on large carbon molecules. And so uh, when I'm talking about large, we're talking about somewhere larger than 20 carbon atoms up to, let's say, 150 carbon atoms. We detect these molecules. So what will happen in, with these molecules, they're almost everywhere in space. And so they see the radiation from uh, nearby stars, for example, or nearby sources. They can uh, absorb some of that radiation. When they absorb that radiation, they get very, very hot. And so they cool down after such an uh, absorption of this radiation, of this energy. They cool down again by emitting energy in the infrared. And so they, how they do it is they basically start vibrating. Is that how we detect them? That's how we detect them. So in the infrared, we see very specific uh, radiation from these molecules through these vibrations. And so the James Webb Space Telescope uh, the light to which it is sensitive is basically in the infrared, the near infrared up to the mid infrared. Then it allows us to see kind of how they interact or engage with one another. It's not necess It's not really engaging with one and another. It's really. It's more what we're interested in is how, how this molecule changes uh, if the radiation changes, if the density changes. So I if see. the conditions of your environment changes. How do you get the same molecules? And we know that's not the, tr the case. They will change, but we don't know exactly how they change. And so with James Webb, what we get is we get a very high spatial resolution. What it means is that, you know, if you look at um, a star, when you have a massive cloud, it will collapse and it will form a star. Once, if you form a massive star, what will happen if the star gets born, it starts to emit radiation. Yeah. Okay. That radiation will disrupt the cloud out of which it's born. It will basically heat the gas and the dust. It will ionize atoms, molecules. It will change the molecules. And so James Webb uh, allows now that we can um, basically uh, probe the uh, molecules on a physical scale on which that these changes happen. You know, before if you know if you have a massive star. Close to the star, it's hot. Further away, it gets colder and colder. Same with the fireplace. Right. Okay. In the old days, with previous instruments, if you would take a spectrum, if you would take, a, sorry, the, you observe the light from these molecules, you would get it on a region where you have a, a large temperature range. Now with James Webb, the sp spatial resolution is much, much sharper. So now you can see it on a much smaller temperature range. 
And that range is similar to the range at which changes to the molecules occur because of the radiation. Yeah, that was really well explained. (laughs) 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 And are you you teaching a program about the telescope? Last term, I was teaching the interstellar medium course for our um, astronomy students and also some physics students. And so these molecules are part of the interstellar medium. Interstellar medium is the stuff between the stars. And so it's in our, mil- in, a, in our own Milky Way, but also in other galaxies, in between the stars, you will basically have these molecules. Back. I see. How long has it been being built for? <laughs> Are we talking like 10 years? No, it's much more. Oh, wow. Space telescopes take longer, take 20 to 30 years for sure. Okay, so how long has it been on your radar? On my radar, it came on my radar. So I'm not involved in building the hardware. So we started thinking about programs to propose for the uh, James Webb. Let's say we started getting organized in uh, in 2016. Then, so what happened is there, uh, James Webb has this very special uh, program, which is called the Early Release Science Program. It was very attractive to scientists because it, if you get a program in that category, it means that your data will be observed in the first three months three to five months from James Webb when it was operational. And so since it's a new telescope with completely new instruments, which are orders of magnitude better than what the previous instruments were, you basically, every detection will probably, or many of the detections will give you new discoveries because it's, it, you're dealing with uncharted territories. Mm. And so in that sense, you know, everybody wants the first data. Yeah. And so this program was uh, a particularly um, made so that you had to show what James Webb could do and then the data would be immediately taken once James Webb would be operational. And so we with our community we were like very eager to get data on this telescope because it's ideally suited for the research that we do and so we got organized and we basically proposed for that uh, within that category and we got time. Oh, I'm, I imagine it's a bloodbath to get time in the first year. Yeah, so this was only for the early science program. So this was a special category. So so basically the the cycles at telescopes is bit cut in pieces of years. And so the first cycle, as you say, the first year is called cycle one. And so the cycle one call for proposals will only come out the end of this month. Um, and then people can write proposals and then it will be decided somewhere in the fall who gets time. But this category that the early release one was called, uh, was take time with Stella. For the early release science program, the time that was taken from the director's discretionary time. So the director of the telescope has uh, a couple of hours, a few hundred amount of hours available to him every cycle that he can basically give to astronomers if they make a good case for it. And so he decided for the first cycle that the majority of his time was given to this early release science program because then the, um, the data of this early release science program will be public immediately to the entire mm. astronomical community and everybody could see what James Webb could do mm. and then start thinking what, they, what James Webb could do for their science. Where is this telescope located? So uh, I think currently it is in uh, California. Okay. And so it's in uh, N- Northrum. I don't know the full name, Northrum. Whatever, California. <laughs> California. <laughs> and so it will be, it's, it's, it's completely assembled right now and it's getting tested. And so it will be shipped to uh, France Guiana at the end of this year, hopefully. And then you'll travel down, I guess, to use it. 
No, actually, you don't travel down. So it will be launched from uh, with the Ariane uh, rockets, okay. which are launched from France Guiana. And so then it will take six months before to, you know, the mirror is folded. Yeah. And so you have to unfold the mirror because the mirror is six and a half diameters. It doesn't fit in the rocket. And so you have to unfold the mirror and test all the instruments. So that will take six months. And only after six months, after launch, the science data will be taken. So you don't have to travel anywhere to get science data. Okay. This is basically all via computer. You have to say what type of observations you want to do, and you have to specify every technical aspect. And then people will, um, in Space Telescope in Baltimore, will basically process that and send that information to the telescope. Say like, okay, now you have to do this type of observations. So no travel involved. <laughs> I guess that's modern telescopes. I just imagine you guys looking... That's with ground-based telescopes. Yeah. So for ground-based telescopes, especially in the old days, you could, you, I mean, as it's at a PhD student, <sighs> I traveled to Hawaii, I traveled to Chile because we had to go to the telescopes and that's where the weather was good, best, and so that's where the telescopes are. But nowadays, uh, even for ground-based telescope, it's much more efficient if they can say like, okay, we have three programs. One requires excellent weather. The other one requires medium type weather and one requires can can be done even with bad weather mm. and so what they do now is they do queue observing what means is like they look at the weather if it's excellent they do these programs that need excellent weather if it's you know less medium type weather they do these programs mm. that require medium type weather and so that means the observer doesn't get to travel anymore there because you can never predict when your observations will be taken mm. and so all the big telescopes, except the Subaru telescope, actually, you do not get to travel there anymore unless your observations require you to sit at the telescope at the time of the observations, which are very few observations. God, I never knew there were so many politics with telescopes. Yes, yes, <laughs> there is a whole kind of policy of how things get, you know, okay. things happen. But it's a problem now because you would hope that an astronomer, if you train students, that they get experience at the telescope. Well, yeah. <laughs> and so now, because everything goes by, you know, setting everything on a computer, the technical details, and then you send it off to the people who operate the telescope, they don't get that experience anymore. So if you want uh, students to get experience on telescopes, you basically have to apply for small telescopes where you can still send people there to actually do the observing. Right. Or maybe what we should propose that Western builds its own telescope. Western has some telescopes. Uh, we have two telescopes on campus, uh, which are used basically for outreach. We have Cronin Observatory, which most people know. It's next to Alumni Hall. Yeah. And then you have another uh, telescope, which is on the top of the, um, I think, Western Science Building. Okay, so we've got three. And then we have one on Elgin, in Elgenfield, which is also no longer be used. It's decommissioned, but that... Um, that land is being used for uh, radar observations of meteors, and also we're, uh, some of our my colleague uh, Stan Metchev is building uh, new small telescopes to observe uh, Kuiper Belt objects. Okay, well, it sounds like Western's got its stuff handled. Yes. <laughs> that wraps up another episode of Western Science Speaks. You can find out more about the James Webb Space Telescope on the NASA website and keep an eye out for Dr. Els Peter's research over the next 18 months. You can subscribe to Western Science Speaks on Apple Music and Spotify, 
and we also air on Radio Western Mondays at 11.30. I'm Henry Standage signing out. Thanks for listening.